Isaiah 54, verses 11, 12, and 13. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy burdens of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. May the Lord add the blessings to the reading of his word, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. We're uh, continuing on in our lengthy series here, the breastplate that the high priest wore. And this morning we're going to talk about uh, the uh, stone on the last stone on in the third row. There's four rows of three, and the last stone on the third row is represents represented by the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. This entire third row, uh, if if you haven't caught on by now, is a result of the life of Joseph. This whole third row has everything to do with Joseph. And I, I think it's just really beautiful when, once again, when Scripture in so many different ways uh, looks back to the life of Joseph and how he lived his life uh, as, a, as a young man, as a married man, and uh, was just a, an excellent example of how you and I can live our life as well. Uh, with our fear in the Lord. Um, as we have alluded to the fact that the life of Joseph is one of the most beautiful types of Christ in Scripture. I think there's over a hundred different uh, types in his life that are represented by the life of Christ. So, let's look into Benjamin here. I'll try not to be long here. But the stone that represents the tribe of Benjamin is the amethyst, which is an oriental stone that is noted for its extreme hardness and beauty. The color of the amethyst is uh, a violet or a deep purplish. Benjamin means son of the right hand. Now, it's, it's interesting that... Um, when, when you look into the life of Benjamin we, Benjamin, we see a type of the finished work of Christ that, that he set out to do. And uh, uh, we can see that in his life. Uh, when we look at his birth in Genesis chapter 35, Genesis chapter 35, let's just turn there, or I'll turn there real quick. Genesis 35, it, it's, a, it's a bittersweet uh, narrative here, 35, verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, 
And this is the pillar of Rachel's grave until this day. Benjamin was born with hard travail and difficulty. Unfortunately, you know, travail is a result of sin. It simply is. After Adam and Eve sinned, the judgment that was pronounced was that Eve would have her children in travail. In Genesis 3.16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. But the point is this, that now when you have your children, there's going to be some pain involved. Matter of fact, the Bible also says when Zion travailed, she brought forth fruit. Here we see Rachel, the one that Jacob loved, and he loved her very much. And uh, uh, she's dying while giving birth here to her, the, this last child, Benjamin. She named him Benoni, which means son of sorrows. And it's interesting because that's what was prophesied to Eve in Genesis 3.15. In travail and sorrow, you're going to have your, your, your child. But, you know, it's interesting here. Of course, you know, I don't understand their culture that much. But, you know, God intervenes seemingly through her husband, Jacob. And Jacob gives the newborn a name change at birth. Instead of son of sorrow, he's going to be the son of the right hand. That's what Benjamin means, son of the right hand. From the death of Rachel came life. You know, perspective is everything. It, it simply is. You can, you know, you can look at, look at it from an from a extremely sorrowful scenario. And, of course, the interesting thing about Jacob's perspective is if he had went with Benoni, son of sorrow, that cloud would have hung over him all of his life. But, you know, Jacob, in his wisdom, he looked and he said, Ah, no, this is going to be the son of my right hand. And it's really interesting from, from Benjamin, you know, how, how Benjamin and Joseph, of course, they were, they, they were brothers. Uh, they, they both came from Rachel. But when, when Joseph was in, in uh, Egypt and Jacob's sons, they went and they tried to get grain, buy grain from, from Egypt to take back to their, their father. And, of course, Joseph caught on before they did. And he said, do you have any other siblings? And they said, yeah, we got a, a little brother named Benjamin. And, and uh, of course, Joseph said, I want you to bring him here to, 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 to prove that you're telling the truth. And, oh, we can't do this. And you, you know how the story went. Well, they, they left and they told Jacob that Benjamin has to go back with us. And, and Jacob said, it ain't going to happen. But, but you can just about imagine, you know, how that uh, you know, Joseph being in, in Egypt, knowing that he had a biological brother, you know, uh, from, from the same mom, from the same dad, uh, you know, they, they, they had that connect and he hadn't seen him for, for all these years and he wants to see him. And here Jacob is now in the, in the, in, in the, in that gulf of decision where do I let Benjamin go? Because Jacob really loved Joseph and he lost Joseph seemingly. And now he's, he's, you know, got to make this this decision on whether to let Benjamin go or not. So I thought, you know, that this whole thing is, is, is interesting. But, you know, when, when we look at life, life is not easy. It's it, it simply not. Life is 
is full of the lessons of sacrifice. You know, sacrifice takes on so many different forms. Here, Rachel gave her life so that Benjamin could be born. There's so many other different ways that that we can look at sacrifice. You know, some of the things that we sacrifice, we have no control over, such as Rachel giving her life. It was just the way that it was supposed to be. There's some things we can sacrifice. Uh, We can sacrifice some of the niceties of life and do without simply because I want to help this other person uh, in, in their struggle. So we can do without. I remember years ago, years ago, when, uh, 28 years ago, when we were getting ready to, uh, we, we were trying to raise money to come to Montana. And I went to a church, uh, Fairland Church in Falk, Arkansas. And at that time, it was Pastor Ben Shaw. Today, uh, uh, Brother Lloyd Shoecraft, a great man, is pastoring in his footsteps. But years ago, when, when we were there, I went and preached a, a revival for Ben Shaw. And they ran about 250, 300 people in that church. Beautiful church. I mean, it was, it was magnificent. And, and I preached for nine days and nine nights. And, and I'm not a revivalist, but we had good services. We really did. And, and at, at the end of the, the revival, Brother Shaw got up. And he wasn't a man that begged, coaxed, or did any of those things. But he just, he just stood up and he said, folks, he said, the Lord's been good to us through Brother Mike. We've had good services, and Brother Mike's getting ready to go to uh, Montana. He said, let's help him get there. And so they took up an offering. That's all he said, if he said that much. And, and uh, after a little bit, he came up to me, and he said, you better sit down, son. And I sat down, and he handed me $18,000. That's quite the offering. But I, I said all that to say this. There was a family in his church that had taken a big chunk of money, they were going to build a built-in swimming pool. And they said, let's do without the swimming pool and give that money to the Metzgers. That was a part of that 18 grand. You see, some people, they, they see an opportunity to sacrifice and it's absolutely no strain. And God sees that. Unfortunately, Today's generation knows nothing about sacrifice and hard work. And I, and I don't want to stereotype everybody here. That, that, that's not my point here. Um, you know as well as I do, even if you're in this generation and not a part of their, their ideology, but you understand that as well as all of us that the way you get by today is um, entitlements, uh, you know, unemployment benefits, all this, you, you try to get everything that you can off of those that do sacrifice and work hard. Unfortunately, that's just the way that our government has programmed people here in, in the hour that we, we live. They do not understand the principles of sacrifice and hard work. If you don't like it, you just move on. That's just the way it is. You know, death is a prerequisite to life. Jesus said something that was very profound in John 12, 24. He said, except a corn of wheat die, it abideth alone. And so there's just something about you and me. There's just something about 
um, our lives, and it's really good that we understand this as Christians, that there's certain times in our life where we just have to give up something. We have to die to something. And I'm not, and I'm not necessarily saying something that's wrong or, or bad, but sometimes there's just things that we just got to lay down and die to it. Amen. So that something else might come up or, or somebody else might benefit from it. When we die to the things of the world and when we die to the things of the past, and that's the context of this whole third row, uh, Ephraim meant uh, to be doubly fruitful. And Manasseh means the Lord has called me to forget my past and so on. And so, you know, when we die to the things of the world and when we die to the things of the past, God will always replace it with something else. He'll do something positive. God will give us a fruit. God will do something, you know, that will, will cause us to see that it was well worth the sacrifice. You know, when it comes to God's order, there is a principle that we, we see in the life of Joseph. He suffered greatly and forgot all his sorrows, and then he reigned. Suffering and sorrow is a prerequisite to reigning. Now, once again, I know we don't like to hear that. Nobody likes to suffer. I don't like to suffer. Uh, it wouldn't be bad if we suffered knowing what we're suffering for. <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't be so bad. But when we just suffer and we don't see uh, the, the purpose of it, uh, you know, right now, but, you know, as time goes on and then we look back in hindsight, I can see why I had to go through that because this is what happened. You, you understand what I'm saying here. But in, in Hebrews 12 too, the Bible says that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus knowing, I mean, him being God, you know, God in the flesh, knowing everything that was going to come upon him, he, he endured it. Amen. He endured that, all the persecutions, all the mockery, everything for the glory that was going to come uh, at the end. And, and let me say for the glory uh, of you and I being brought into the family of God. Amen. We have to start out as servants. Uh, that's something that we, we need to learn early in life in order to move forward. Some people like to, uh, you know, circumnavigate certain levels and jump right to the top. There are exceptions to the rule where exceptional individuals um, that, are, that are gifted where that can happen too, like in the life of Joseph. <clears throat> but, excuse me, but Joseph started out as a servant, amen, as a slave. And because of his attitude, because of his mindset, he advanced in position and so on. There's a few times where he went backwards, but, you know, when he was thrown into the, the prison. But if he wouldn't have been thrown in the prison, then he would have never in, interpreted the dreams of the butler and baker. And he never would have went before Pharaoh and interpreted his dream. And you, so you see, everything was connected there. But everything was connected with his servitude. A servant in Potiphar's house, a servant in the prison, amen, brought him to the place where he was the prime minister of Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh, amen. Satan started out coveting for the top position, and to this day, he is eternally damned to an eternal hell. The order of all these stones on the breastplate reveals how we are to control our fleshly desires and learn to live 
in the Spirit. If you had take, of course, you know, in my notes, if you had take the theme of every stone thus far, there's an application, and we've tried to bring that out, but they all tie together to the life of a Christian and how we should live our lives in, in fullness and fruitfulness. Before Joseph could sit down at the right hand of Pharaoh, he had to prove himself as a servant, and he never complained. Rachel looked at her dying as sorrow, but not Jacob. Jacob was saying, no, it's not going to go this way. This is not the end. You know, that would have been really difficult to say because Rachel was the one that Jacob really loved. And he sees the one that he, that he really loves just getting ready to, to die or she's, she's dying. And, and he says, this is not going to be the end but it's going to be at the beginning of something new. Amen. He's going to be the son of my, of my right hand, and he's, he's talking about his soulmate here that is just now dying. Amen. We are not children of sorrow, folks. You know, Christians are supposed to be the happiest, exciting people on the planet, but yet there's so many times when we project a different image for those around us that, hey, you know, life's a bummer. It's not supposed to be full of sorrow. Amen. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, and it'd be good for us to read this and write it with indelible ink into our minds in Ephesians 2 verse 6, and he hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand the profundity of that? that we can sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about that the next time you go to the Lord in prayer. The audience that you have, matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16, where he says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen. We have access into the very presence of God, folks. We're not people of sorrow. <laughs> Amen. We have an audience with God. Amen. And it came to pass as her soul was departing. And this is the whole crux of the amethyst. You will never see the beauty of the amethyst without sorrow and sacrifice. You see, God's way of doing things is so different than ours. God sees things so different. There's beauty and sorrow and sacrifice in the eyes of God. Look at the attitude of Jacob. The woman that he loved was dying. But he himself, he rose above that sorrow. This is not going to be the end. You know, Jacob means deceiver. And at, at, at that river Jabuk or Peniel there where he wrestled with the angel and he said, you're no longer going to be Jacob the deceiver, but you're going to be Israel, which is prince of God. And, 
And, and Jacob's life was constantly marred with, with difficulty and hardships and, and so on. But, it, but in, in my estimation here, at this point when Rachel is, is dying, uh, Jacob finally catches on. He finally gets it. Amen. That it's not about his own life and his own ambitions and his own desires. Amen. It's, it's not about him. Amen. He rose above that and he said he's going to be the son of my right hand. Amen. Look at the prophecy of Christ in Isaiah 53, 9 through 12. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's life, folks. Understanding it. And if there was ever a person that modeled that to the T was Jesus Christ. It's interesting, you, you women will love this here this morning, so you can reward me afterwards here. <laughs> but they say that in the Gospels, it is the woman who stands for principle and not the man. But the woman is more prone to stand for principle where a man isn't. God wants us to understand this principle of servitude, suffering, etc. When you are willing to pour your soul out even unto death, your desires, your passions, only then will God give you a place at the right hand, but you have to go through it and recognize it. There was a, a story, let me just turn there, a very familiar story, Luke chapter 7. I, I love this story. Uh, there's been songs that have been sung about it. But it's about a penitent woman, the woman with the alabaster box is what it's more commonly known from. Um, let me just read it. Luke 7, 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him and he went into the house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his, his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Can you just imagine that? Seeing that. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman, I entered into the house, and gave, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. That is so profound. It, it, when you've been forgiven for a lot, I mean, Jesus said that. You just love that much more. And, 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 and it's almost a catch-22 because you don't want to go and deliberately do things wrong so that you love more. You don't, that, that's not what we're talking about here. Let me read on. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sin also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. It is assumed, from what I've studied over the years, that most scholars believe that this woman was a streetwalker. She was a harlot. Her name has never been given. But this woman showed more honor to the Lord than the Pharisee. She stood at his feet behind him weeping. This woman was honoring Christ because of what she had already experienced. The forgiveness of God. She wasn't doing it for forgiveness. She was doing it because of something that she had already received. If it was the other way around, it would all be wrong. It would be works and et cetera. But she was expressing herself passionately because of a forgiveness that she, she was feeling in her soul. And Jesus said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? In other words, you don't understand, Simon. Can you not perceive why she's done what she's done? She's doing this simply because of my forgiveness. She is so overwhelmed by pardon of a horrible past. What did Joseph say? For God hath caused me to forget my past. You see how this weaves together. This is a principle that must be seen in order for anybody to get saved. But too often we take this principle and we shelve it when it, this principle is supposed to be active throughout our entire spiritual life. Never forget this principle. In 1 Peter 2.20, for what glory is it? Now listen, 
For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. What God is saying here is that if you are buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently, that's good. But, but if you do well and suffer for it, be patient because this is what is acceptable to God. It goes up a different level. It takes you to a different sphere. This part of following after Christ in verses 21 and 22 of the same book, 1 Peter chapter 2, for even hereunto were ye, were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should what? Follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The natural man likes to threaten, but when we rise above this, and we understand the principles of suffering, amen, that's when we sit with him in heavenly places. As Hannah comes to the piano this morning in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we knoweth not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Even the Spirit of God travails for us before God. I call it good old Holy Ghost prayer. The Holy Ghost orders up what is right, and what is right is always the will of God. Amen. Let's stand this morning. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Never ceases to amaze me, Lord, the truths, the hidden truths. And sometimes, Lord, they're not so hidden. They're just so plain, but we refuse to accept them because it, they're so contrary to our thought process as human beings. We live our lives, Lord, life is difficult. I'm not saying it's not. Life is simply difficult. But then, Lord, you never said it would be easy. You never gave us that promise. But so many times, Lord, we fail to realize that the difficulties that we experience in life from your perspective, these are things that we build upon so that we can, we can, Lord, be in a closer communion with you. That, that Lord, if our attitude's right and everything, Lord, that we're going through, Father, is, uh, you know, whatever degree of our suffering or sacrifice might be, that if we just handle it right, 
we're being like Christ. Sometimes we're a little slow like Jacob. And it takes a while for us to catch on. But that's all right. Your ways and your methods, Lord, are so far above ours. And trying to be, to be removed from our thought, pre- thought process and accepting your way of, of helping us navigate through life, Lord, is such a challenge. So, Lord, I pray that, God, you see each and every one of us here. You see what we're going through. You know it all. You know it all. You see what we give up so that others might be blessed. You see it all, Lord. Not to show everybody that we're something. No. We give because, Lord, it's a principle in the Bible, Father. Give and it shall be given back. Suffer and we shall reign. Father, bless each and every one as we find a place to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The altar is open. You're welcome.